The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. on SAFM. She describes herself as a pan-Africanist, a development activist, and a futurist, and that she strongly believes in Africa's transformative power. To her, Africa is the most exciting place to be today, and she believes that her purpose is to live a life of service in transforming the lives of Africans, especially in the alleviation of poverty. With 18 years' experience working in the development sector as an academic, a researcher, a practitioner, a policy advocate, and an executive within the not-for-profit sector on the continent, she has worked with key civil society structures across the continent, including women's movements, civil society organizations and networks, think tanks, faith-based organizations, as well as grassroots formations. She has also worked closely with the United Nations on several development initiatives related to promoting, among others, sustainable development, accountability and financing in Africa. Please give a round of applause, as we usually do, Brafini, to our guest this evening, Ms. Namtla Mninki Mangalis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where's the round of applause? Hi, ah, this thing is <laughs> Ms. Namtla, good evening. How are you? Good evening. I'm very well, very excited to be here. Warm greetings to your um, listeners as well. How are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. Um, under the circumstances, of course. We are, we are living in right. such times where we can't quite always say we are 100%. But yeah, right. I'm, right. I'm fine. There's the belated applause. I don't know if it's for you or for me for giving an oh. answer because it's not often I answer questions on this platform. <laughs> but nonetheless, it is what it is. I just wish to invite my listeners who are here this evening, who are essentially now your listeners, Sis Namtla, to join us in conversation with you, Johannesburg 714-2006. Let's have a conversation with then Namtla Niki Mangaliso. Pan-Africanist, development activist, Special Advisor to the Presidency on Women's Economic and Financial Inclusion and a Director at African Monitoring. It's quite a lot, African Monitor particularly. There's a lot on your plate. Always work to be done. There is a lot on there is a lot of on my plate, but let me let me correct that last one. So up until um, to, at the end of 2019, I was the Executive Director of African Monitor which is a pan-African um, civil society organization. At the moment, though, I um, am founder and CEO of Kajenobua Inc., which is a development consultancy. Beautiful. And what does that development consultancy do in the context of your pan-Africanist outlook, your developmental activism and things to do with the emancipation yeah. of women on the continent? So, you know, the easiest way to think about me is an agitator of progress. I'm one of those diplomats who are also activists, as it were. And what we do at Gajenobua is basically to support African governments and development agencies to actually achieve sustainable development across the continent. Primarily, I, we work in the area of economic development, economic inclusion, as well as women's economic empowerment. So um, when I got roped in to be part of the presidency's team working on women's economic inclusion, it is because I'm a development economist by training. And my passion is to ensure that African economies respond to the needs of African people. As you said in your intro, I completely believe in this continent and its, and its power and potential. And that's what I work on. 
Let, let's talk about what you do on the continent in relation to what you have seen on the continent, particularly as it pertains to what COVID has done for Africa in the last 12 months. Right. So, I mean, COVID has been difficult the world over. And I think that the the, the economies of this continent have been hit quite hard. Um, if you will remember publications that began around 2017, 2018, which were already starting to say Africa is growing. And that's because largely African governments had started taking ownership of African economies, right? And I think that what we've seen now because of COVID is a little bit of a regression in relation to that because the economic growth that we used to see, we are not seeing anymore. However, one of the things we've been trying to do, particularly I think our president has been trying to push this as the chairperson of the African Union, he was that until February this year, Mm. was to say, as we are trying to recover from COVID-19, We need to do so in such a way that we change the structural formation of African economies. So you know that most African economies generally benefit the elite. And what we're trying to do now is to ensure that women, young people, ordinary folk are actually participating in producing as producers in the agricultural sector or in manufacturing or in industry. And so I think what the African Union largely member states are trying to do is to find those opportunities, those unique opportunities where Africans can actually participate in producing um, and in owning different productive sectors. And if there is one African country that has changed a narrative within a generation given its progress, particularly in the last ten to five, five to ten years, Rwanda is a wonderful example of what Africa's potential is all about. Absolutely. I could not agree more. So Rwanda, it doesn't really matter which direction you are looking, whether you're looking at what they are doing in relation to their governance and accountability systems, um, the makeup of their parliament, for instance, in terms of just the balance between men and women, or, or whether you're looking at what economic policies they've put in place, they've been doing an excellent job. And I think it's an indication both of strong leadership um, that has um, that has been quite visionary and doing extraordinary things. Let me give you an example. When we went into lockdown last year, one of the very first countries to ensure that all public schools actually had access to the internet so that children could learn from home, that was Rwanda. So Rwanda began a program where they said in the next three to six months, we're going to ensure that we're internet enabled. So I think that they are bold in a sense of being willing to take the risks and doing things that actually transform the lives of their own people. They are a landlocked country. When we were celebrating in 1994, they had nearly a million of her people absolutely mowed down on ethnic and tribal lines. And yet their progress, if one looks at it relative to that of South Africa, is exponentially better than us, even though they might even have half the resources. What in a sentence or two might you attribute that to? Um, Vision. 
the, the, the size of the population of Rwanda is significantly smaller than South Africa. And so managing um, that process, we're talking just about just over 12 million people. So it's a much smaller country, much smaller economy. I think that in terms of thinking through how to support individuals or citizens, you are you, you have a much smaller task as it were. But I think I think at least in my own study of Rwanda, one yes. of the things I've seen is that the combination of visionary leadership and coming from such a bad place had both leadership and citizens on one vision. The, um, my last visit to Rwanda was about two and a half years ago, and I was still in civil society then. And we met with a number of government institutions. Sorry, sorry, and sorry. One sorry of let me leave it there because yeah. I have to take a break, but you're going to carry on from your last visit some two and a half years ago to Rwanda where you okay. met, among others, those civil servants because it is a necessary conversation for us right here in South Africa. After this, Ms. Niki Mangaliso continues. The Viewpoint, weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. on SAFM. on SAFM. We're in conversation with a pan-Africanist. We're in conversation with the founder of Gajenobuwa Consultancy. We are in conversation with a development activist who at some point was the director of African Monitor and now currently, among many other roles, serves as a special advisor to the presidency on women's economic and financial inclusion. Of course, I'm talking to and about Ms. Namtlamniki Mangaliso, who was just before the break talking to us about what is happening on the continent that is positive. Rwanda is a case study for her responses to date. Specifically now, she regales an account of her last visit to Rwanda some two and a half years ago. Want to carry on where we left off, please, Ms. Namtla? Thank you so much, Budwam. So I was saying that one of the things that really surprised me was how much in unison every single government department we actually uh, met with was. And so they were clear about the vision, they were clear about what they were doing. And I think the combination of the, the leadership as well as citizens being on that same track about we are about reconstructing this country. Um, so things like in Rwanda, you can't speak, you can't use language that used to be used to instigate violence as an example. And I think that those are things that, that are really exemplary. Now, of course, critics talk about some of the challenges around what is the depth of the democracy in Rwanda, etc. We don't have enough time to get into that. However, you know what? Another thing that I think is a positive thing in the continent is the people of this continent. Um, a country like Senegal in West Africa has about 40 to 60 percent of its trade revenue generated by ordinary women, cross-border traders. So basically, traders at the grassroots level who move between countries to basically trade their goods. And I think one thing you can say about Africans, um, including South Africa, is the extent to which the people themselves are going to be the reason why Africa rises. It's not going to be governments that lead to us rising. It's going to be the African people who are going to make the decision that it's time for us to own our economies and they are going to pick up and roll up their sleeves and they are going to begin to actually activate the economies of the African continent. I'm interested in the thoughts of some of my callers and already in waiting is Mike in Newland. So please expect an engaging call from Mike in Newlands and of course I'm pulling his leg because he always does that. Mike, good evening, welcome. Hi, good evening, so good evening to your guests. Can you hear me okay? Well. 
Fantastic. Yeah, I want to just pick up on one quick point. Um, the lady, your guest, is talking about the Africans owning the economy or owning our economy. Well, well, they do own the economy. I think that's probably why I initially wanted to call. I don't understand why we are in so much trouble when we do own the economy. Uh, if we just take South Africa, for example, and the, probably the one question I'm going to pose to your guest, and she's very enthusiastic about Africa, and I think that's absolutely fantastic, but I'm not so much. And I'm not so much because there's absolutely no consequences to any of our actions, to any of our leaders in any of the continents in Africa. We're not seeing consequences. We're not seeing people go to jail. We're not, uh, your guests will agree, we have corruption that is completely spiraled out of control. So I'm struggling to um, get enthusiastic as your guest is about the future of Africa and particularly Africans in general because we, we own the future, but we are lying corrupt leaders, as we learn in South Africa and the Zambia Commission, to take control of our future, and we're not taking control of it because we're allowing people to steal from us without consequences. And it's that word I wanted to deal with. What are we going to do about consequences? Why and when are we going to make people pay for their crimes, in not just in South Africa, but in Africa in general? Thanks so much, Ingezo. Thanks, Mike. In Newlands, let's go to KZN. Romeo, good evening. Good evening to you, my brother, and uh, to your guest. How are you this evening? We well, man. Go for it. Thanks. Uh, Madam, um, you were talking about uh, the issue of COVID and business, the economy, uh, politics. I was uh, on the opinion that I think it's high time also the chairperson of AU, that position should be for a woman. And whoever will be the chairman of the EU from the president, the vice must be a woman. So that you uh, you guys, you'll be in the leadership in every sector, whether it is in the private, try to drive as much as also to take positions such as like African Bank, where you'll be found yourself being on top of, uh, a good position that has got a lot of influence to drive the economy of the country, I many of the, the continent. Even do, uh, doing so, I think that would help uh, the continent to prosper because being many alone, we have seen a lot, we have experienced a lot. I think when we talk of radical transformation, I think this is where we should start right now. Let's start about radical transformation by transforming AU to become an organization that has got women that are on top of the, uh, the, 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 the organization that could lead the continent uh, softly. And uh, perhaps this civil war that we see would end up you know, having all these wars that we see civil war. Because the agenda of uh, 2063, you are saying we want to silence guns. So I think around that time, it will be quite really good. I think that's my proposal to you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Let's go to Sakile in Durban. Sakile. Sakile in Durban. Okay, do you want to respond so far to what has been said by both of Romeo and before him, Mike in Newlands and Slumtla? 
Yes, I would love to. Rom, you just put a huge smile on my face. Um, but let me start with Mike first. I think that Mike raises really important questions, particularly around corruption. And you are absolutely right. I, I've worked 20 years in the space of activism, particularly addressing corruption. And one of the things I learned was the important role that citizens must play. One of the things you learn about politics is that essentially the, the public sector responds to demand. When citizens begin to demand certain standards and when they begin to make clear what the consequences are, and of course the biggest consequence is we elect differently the next time we vote. I think once citizens understand that, then things begin to change. However, I did want to say he's saying that it's difficult to think about what to be excited about in this continent. Um, the African continent just on the 1st of January just launched the Africa Free Trade Area. And it is the largest free trade area in the world, second to the WTO, to the World Trade Area. It basically allows for up to 80% of goods and products in Africa to be exchanged at no cost. In other words, without all of the baggage that usually comes with trade. And I think you can't just, you can't stop but be excited about the possibilities of what that means. That a young person right now in Lesotho can begin to trade with a young person in Soweto or between Zambia and South Africa, et cetera. There, I could mention a number of these things where I'm saying the main critical factor is the extent to which we as citizens are going to take up the opportunities and say we are going to do this for ourselves, for our children, for the generations to come. I think that Romeo in part answers the question that Mike is asking around, what are some of the systems we can put in place to ensure that we reduce corruption? Statistically, you know it's proven that when women lead, there's less corrupt behavior. And so we, the suggestion that the more women you've got in leadership positions, the more integrity, you are, the more balance, let's say, of integrity you're going to begin to see is an important point to make around what value women can bring in those spaces. But also, I believe that Romeo was also talking about um, dealing with issues related to war um, and conflict, which, again, the more you have women, the less of those situations you have. And I couldn't agree with him more um, that as much as possible, we should be talking about how we get women in leadership positions. In the next 30 minutes, or the last 30 minutes of our conversation, we are going to be talking exactly about that topic. I will have only one opportunity for Mike in Durban to ask a very quick question because we are eating into your time. This is Namtla, but Mike, make it snappy, please. Evening, Shangesha. Eighty kilometers north of Kigali, the capital of Rwanda, is a huge lake. And under the lake is a vast deposit of methane gas that can power the whole of Africa. When the Germans were in, in, in East Africa, they tried extracting it, but they failed. It is in an enormous reserve of gas. They are, I believe, attempting to take it out now. All right, let's have Ms. Namtla respond to that. And I think it's a question around resources in Africa, their control, their exploitation for the immediate benefit of Africans, and more importantly, their fair and equitable distribution for the collective development of the people. Your response to that, Ms. Namtla? 
Um, thank you so much, Mike, for that. I did not know about this new deposit dis discovery, but again, one more thing to be excited about in the DRC recently, in a couple of weeks, a, a couple of weeks ago, I believe, um, some rural villagers discovered deposits of gold um, in in a in a mountain, um, and I think that one of the one of the policies that the African Union um, has put in place is exactly that issue around uh, resource management, mineral resource management. Um, and so the, the Africa mining strategy covers all of those things around how does Africa take back control? Don't get me started about how the nations of the West um, have strategies of how to dominate our resources. But I believe that we are well on the way as a continent of claiming back those resources, of thinking very differently about systems of beneficiation. In other words, how do we ensure that those resources benefit African citizens rather than benefiting the nations of the West? I'll tell you what I will do. I'm going to stop this conversation between ourselves, go for a short ad break. Afterwards, you're going to take over. We have a couple of voice notes that have since come through in this conversation. I'd rather you deal with them as the one who is the host. After the break, everybody, prepare yourselves for... Ms. Namtlamniki Mangaliso, Pan-Africanist, a development activist, special advisor to the Presidency on Women's Economic and Financial Inclusion, and most of all, founder of Kajanobuwa Consultancy. After the break, it's her show.